With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Jamaica and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. This show is pre-recorded and furnished by Montrose Church Ministries. Welcome to Healing Conversations with Pastor Dave Roberts. We don't talk anymore. We don't talk anymore. Do you wish your relationships were deeper and communicating was easier? Do you leave conversations feeling frustrated and empty? Healing Conversations helps us reveal our truest and deepest identities. Dave Roberts, Senior Pastor of Montrose Church and author of Healing Conversations, brings us insight on how we can deepen our love for each other by way of good communication. Let's work on this together. And now, here's Pastor Dave. Well, good morning and welcome. We're talking about a time to heal and we're continuing in this Lenten season, which is now really quickly coming to a close. Uh, we'll officially be through the Lenten season uh, next Sunday. Next Sunday morning, we'll celebrate Easter and uh, you can uh, break your fast and uh, get back to doing the things that uh, you enjoy. But we're thinking about the application of that word, the Lenten season, that uh, has to do with the old Anglo-Saxon root of the word, which means to lengthen Lengthening our days. Uh, we've had the time change. Our days are longer. The sun is doing its work to bring back to life all of those things that have been dormant through the winter season. Not quite as dramatic in Southern California as it is in other parts of the country, but the idea being that you and I enter into this season in which we just uh, stretch out. We relax. We let the spiritual side of life, the Son of God, uh, have some impact on bringing to life things that might be dormant in us, things that might seem dead. That's the hope of the Lenten season. And uh, as such, it's a time to heal. And so we've been talking about that. We talked last week about uh, a healed spirit, and we're talking this week about a healed mind, what it would mean to have a healed mind. If there's ever been a time in my life and journey that I felt like I needed some healing for my mind, it's now um, at the end of covid um, at the end of uh, uh, a very difficult election cycle, uh, in the middle of uh, one of the most divisive times in our culture and world that I can remember in my lifetime. And so uh, it seems to me that uh, the, the New Testament writers, specifically Peter and Paul, uh, key leaders in the New Testament church, if you read the book of Acts, you, you follow along with the structure. The first half of the book of Acts is, uh, all about Peter. It's about his leadership in the early church. And then about halfway through, uh, we have a transition, and that transition goes to Paul. And then the second half of the book of Acts really centers on Paul. Uh, gets into some of the details of a debate that exists between Peter and Paul, specifically around the topic of how Jewish do you have to be to be Christian. Uh, Peter believing that you had to be a little more Jewish, and Paul believing it didn't matter at all. Kind of interesting, since Peter was the fisherman and Paul was the Pharisee, you would think they would have argued differently. But uh, in the middle of that is James. James is the head of the council in Jerusalem. We we meet him as well. Uh, he has a, a, a letter in the New Testament as well. It's clear when you read these letters, uh, the collections of what they've written, they're talking together. There are conversations going on uh, around ideas. And one of those ideas has to do with the renewing of our minds. In fact, Paul... 
and Peter use almost identical vocabulary uh, in the writing uh, concerning this area of a renewed mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2, maybe one of the most famous passages about your renewed mind that Paul wrote. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable act of spiritual worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you could be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. And so that language of this renewed mind is almost identical to some of the language that Peter will use, which leads me to believe uh, that they're talking about this. There's a conversation they're having amongst themselves as they try to understand how uh, the work of God and the power of God works in the practical places of our lives. And so just to stop on this early Sunday morning and to say, maybe maybe you need a renewed mind. What part of your mind might need a little refresher, might need to be picked up, might need to be uh, held on to? A couple of years ago, uh, and right here on this radio segment, you know, uh, you can rapidly try to go through the podcast and find it, but you, you'll have a hard time. I asked you a question, uh, told you a little story, and um, I'm just interested to see if you retained any of it. But uh, here's the question. Uh, in the history of the world, what is the greatest empire to ever rule the world? The largest, greatest empire to ever rule the world. Give it a little thought. There's a lot of contenders in there. We know the Roman Empire was enormous. Alexander the Great conquered the world. So it might surprise you to know that the greatest empire, largest empire of all time was the British Empire. It was the British Empire. And in quite recently, in fact, at one point, the British Empire included 13 million square miles of landmass. If you know your geography, then uh, you might understand that that is 22% of the entire landmass in the world. In the early 20th century, around 1922, 458 million individuals were a part of the British Empire, were covered under a British protectorate or colony or uh, some part of the British Empire. That's 20% of every human being on the face of the planet was a part of the British Empire in the early 20th century. And so when you think about that, you think about the whole phenomenon of colonialization, which began obviously centuries earlier, but its ongoing impact, it's a, it's a powerful image to think about. Right here in Southern California, we bear the marks of Spanish colonial life. We, we visit the missions, but we have inherited culturally a great deal. And, and it's fantastic if you travel through Central and South America to see the consistency of how the Spanish colonialization worked. Uh, it's, you, you, you'll be in a space in Bolivia or Ecuador that looks very similar to Santa Barbara. It's not that different. Uh, they brought their culture with them. They believed that their form, their representation of empire, was the very best way to, to do things. It was the best way to live. It was the best uh, empire there could be. It was the best culture. And they carried that. And so when you think about what that looks like, uh, here's another little piece of trivia. Uh, when did the colonial world come to an end? When did the last aspects of colonialization officially end? might help you to know that the British Empire began to decline uh, in World War I. 
uh, World War II finally ended. Officially, the end to the British Empire was 1947 with the annexation of India, given back its independence. Uh, so that officially brought the British Empire to an end. But the last colony was a Portuguese colony. Uh, it was uh, the little island of Macaw off the southern tip of China, and it returned to southern rule in 1999. So when we think about colonialization, we think it's really old. Uh, the New Testament writers knew a little bit about empire. They understood the Roman Empire, but their history was full of the Syrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, uh, the work of Alexander the Great, the Seleucid dynasty. They, they understood and, and as Peter writes this letter of First Peter, he's writing to people who live in Asia Minor. That's a, a province, what is modern-day Turkey. And their lives were completely dominated by whoever might be the governor of that particular part of the world. And so what they understood and knew was, you know, if a friend of Caesar's came to power, everything they'd ever worked for might be lost. It might be changed. Everything about their life depended on which empire was in control. The big takeaway to think about is just this. Those empires that ruled the world, they didn't allow the world to change them. The empires changed the world. The world didn't change the empires. So if you were uh, in uh, southern Africa, you know, a part of the British Empire for a number of years, you never having visited England would know exactly what they do in England. You would know that at 10 and 2 they have tea. You'd know they play cricket. You'd know how they conduct their business meetings. Uh, we travel extensively and work extensively in the southern tip of Africa, and it is astonishing, the British impact. To this day, it, it is so deeply woven into the culture. Uh, I don't mind stopping every day at 10 and having tea. I, I don't mind an afternoon break for tea. It all works. It is somewhat hard to keep up with sometimes in a business meeting because the conduct is very British, and I'm not. And so the formalities of all of that. But the New Testament writers have this in mind, and as Jesus begins to talk about the kingdom of God, they immediately latch on the idea that there is a kingdom that they are to live in and behave in, and the world is not to change the kingdom. The kingdom is to change the world that we're to live in that culture, we're to practice that culture, that people having never met God or been to heaven, obviously, or been to wherever we believe God resides, they still have an understanding of who God is. They have an understanding of the kingdom of God alive on earth because we live it out. We live it out daily. And so the New Testament writers, they rally around this idea. This is a concept that comes up again and again, this idea that we are citizens from another place, that we're living this kingdom out, that we are the visible representation uh, of the very kingdom of God. And this kingdom is supposed to be a sanctuary for life. It's supposed to be a place of peace. It's supposed to be a place where uh, really the troubles of the world, they don't interfere with the culture of the empire. That's the vision. That's the hope. Peter sums it up as he ties up the letter at the end in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that in due time he may lift you up. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert for Satan roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, knowing that throughout the world your brothers and sisters are undergoing the same kind of temptation. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself make you strong and firm and steadfast. 
We're going to unpack that when we come back from break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Healing Conversations. I'm Pastor Dave Roberts on KABC 790, and we're talking about a healed mind, a renewed mind, and the vision of being a part of a kingdom in which we live in this place of sanctuary, where there's a place of peace, a comfort, a place where we trust and we know that God is working on our behalf. And Peter begins to describe not just the ideal of what it means for us to have a renewed mind, but how we might have a renewed mind. So listen to what he writes, and then we'll we'll unpack it a little bit. First uh, Peter 1, 13 through 15, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. So when I read this and start to try to look at it, I I immediately sort of walk into this particular passage backwards. It seems to me that there's a, a descending order of things. He's talking about a renewed mind, and then he gives us several little ideas. So so if you'd allow me, let's just turn it upside down and let's start at the end and then work our way back up to this renewed mind because I think he's explaining some ideas about how we might have this renewed mind. The first thing he says, it's sort of now down at the end of it, he says, but just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. This is one of those really tough things that the Bible says in several places, be holy as I am holy. Because if holy means to be pure like God, then I'm already disqualified. I'm not in that realm. But holy had a very different meaning in a practical sense, and it's how Peter uses the word here. Holy had to do with the ordinary instruments, forks, knives, ladles, bowls, uh, cauldrons, all kinds of uh, everyday common things that were used exclusively in the temple worship. And because they were used exclusively for God's purposes, they were considered holy. There's nothing particularly special about them in and of themselves, except they were not used for anything else. It's in that context that Peter uses the word here. He's he's saying, be fully set aside for God's service and don't be confused about anything else. It seems to me that if we're going to have a renewed mind... This sort of clarity and simplicity of what our purpose is might be important. That, in fact, if you ask me what is my purpose, I I would probably have to go down the list of responsibilities that I have. I am a husband. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. I'm a pastor of a church. I have friendships. I... I do a radio segment. I, you know, I, I try to write. I, you know, there's a lot of things that could be described. I'm somewhere in there. I have to pay bills and taxes and make money and manage life. There's food to buy. Uh, I like to cook, so I have that thing going on. So there's a lot. And the truth of the matter is, it's so easy for me to get sort of just completely overwhelmed by all of the things that are happening. And I think Peter is simply saying, just don't forget, don't forget that at the core of your existence, God has a plan and a purpose. And that's really what you're about. And you'll have to do some other things. You know, you can't just go over to the monastery and just pray all day. You'll have to take care of your family and you'll have to pay taxes and you'll have to do all the things that people have to do. In fact, Jesus says it really explicitly, seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness and all these other things will be taken care of. I think we get confused. I think we get overwhelmed. I think we think we have to do everything in the same priority. You know, what is your top priority? All of it. There's none of it that I can't do. I have to go to work. I have to pay the bills. I have to take care of the family. I have to eat. It all has to be done. And I think just knowing that we have such a complex life, it sometimes just makes us weary. And so Peter's simply saying, hey, if you want to have this renewed mind, uh, be holy. Be set aside for one purpose and then let everything else grow out of that one reality. The second thing he says, adopt a non-conforming mind. Uh, Now moving up to verse 14. And as obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires. Logically, what he means in this whole idea is that, you know, uh, there's a lot of things that you used to seek, a lot of things that you used to find fulfillment in, a lot of things as you've lived your life that give you meaning and purpose. And maybe, you know, it's your own sense of self-worth. Maybe it's uh, your own attractiveness or success or wealth or comfort. But wherever you searched for all of that, you've probably learned that there's never enough of it, that you always need a little more. No matter how well you do, there's more. No matter how much money you have, there's always a need for some more. No matter how many nice things are in your house, doesn't keep you from walking around going, you know what would be better, you know? Uh, so he's simply saying here, have a non-conforming mind. As a person of another kingdom, of another empire, do you think any differently than anyone else? Do you see yourself any differently? Do you see the world? Does the things that bring you joy? Is it any in any way unique? And, and so here, if you're not a, a spiritually minded person or you're not a, a person who believes in uh, God or Christianity, just so let me just ask you some questions. Do you believe the culture generally is happy? Do you believe people that you know are generally well-adjusted? Do you think generally the culture's doing well? So Peter's point is just to say, look at the culture, and then you might want to say, it doesn't seem like it's working out well. So maybe I want to be a nonconformist. Maybe I don't want to think like everybody else and value what everyone else values because the end result is not very good. And so he simply suggests to be holy as God is holy. Be non-conforming in your culture. Be set aside for a greater purpose and don't do what everybody else does because what everybody else does doesn't seem to be leading to a place of fulfillment and peace. Number three, adopt a grace-focused mind. He says in verse 13 now, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Part of this idea is just simply this. You live in grace. If you want to know how God, how the God of the Judeo-Christian tradition, how the God of the Bible looks at you, he looks at you with grace. He looks at you with grace. He sees you with grace. He regards you with grace. Whatever you've heard, whatever's been told to you, the scripture has this overwhelming idea that God looks at his children with grace. And so then Peter makes this point. And when you die, guess what? You'll find grace. You'll have more grace. So if, so if you're wondering, then just focus on the grace that awaits you at the end of the journey. And when you realize that the God, how God regards you as grace and what's waiting you as grace, then go ahead and live in grace. You might want to offer grace to the people around you. I mean, there's a reality that there's a lot of people in the world that make us upset. And if you're living in this culture, what you watch on TV, where you go for your news, uh, you can quickly identify who's making you mad and what would make the world better. Peter's simply saying, 
The old Roman world was no different than this new world we live in. It was full of things that are upsetting and overwhelming. And he just reminds us, down the list, be holy as God is holy. you got a greater purpose. Don't get caught up. You're not of this world. You're in a different empire. And, oh, by the way, you don't need to conform. Don't do what everybody else is doing because it's not working out well. It's just not working out well. And go ahead and offer grace because you're going to get grace. So you ought to offer it. Number four, adopt an alert and sober mind. First part of verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. The exact translation here is gird up the loins of your mind. So if you just take the raw Greek here, uh, the word here is gird up loins of your mind. So here's the image. You know, uh, in the early part of the world, men, everyone really, wore flowing robes, particularly uh, in the part of the world where the scriptures are written. And so to participate, the Greek world, the, the Roman world, the Middle East, to participate in work or an athletic event, uh, an athlete or a work, uh, workman would take that robe and wrap it around their legs and tuck it in. And here's the imagery. Because they are girding up their loins, girding up, you know, wrapping everything up, now their arms and legs are free to let them function at, their, at the best of their ability. And so he uses that image to say, why don't you do that to your mind? Take all the junk that's flowing around and wrap it all up and gird the loins of your mind so that you're free to give your life the best you can give it. I think most of us would look at our lives and go, I don't think I give my life the best every day because the truth is I'm all tangled up in my stuff. I'm all tangled up in my issues. I'm all tangled up in what's happening at this moment. You know, we have moments of perspective and clarity. Some tragedy happens, and and then we're like, oh, man, you know what? <laughs> my life was really okay before all of this happened. And so I, I think simply Peter is saying, listen, if you want to have a renewed mind, if you want to have a healed mind, here's a simple way to think about it. You have a simplicity of purpose. Narrow it down. You don't need to conform to all the other stress around you. Be a nonconformist. When you stop and you think about what it means and what's happening around you, have a grace focus. Stop being mad at everybody. Stop vilifying others. It doesn't get you anywhere. It just causes you to have a hurting mind. And then go ahead and take all the things that wrap you up and tie you down and tangle you up and trip you up and tie them up in a way that you are free to give this day your best, this relationship your best, this opportunity your best. That's what we do in this season. We lengthen out. We let the life, the thoughts, we just let the sun heal us up cause life to come back to places that are dormant and dead. When we come back, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Healing Conversations on KABC 790. I'm Pastor Dave Roberts, and joining me in studio is Eric McClinahan. Welcome, Eric. Hey, Dave. Hey, everybody. So how are you? 
Here we are, March 28th. March 28th. We're right at the end of the Lenten season. Uh, how's the journey been for you? Well, it feels uh, nice that uh, March 28th, tomorrow, my daughter goes back to school. That's very nice. In the Glendale Unified School District. Nice. Only twice a week, but still, we're very excited about it. She's yeah. very excited. We're mostly very excited about it because we love her teacher. She yeah. loves her teacher, and she's never been in class with her in person. And so at least for a couple months here, she gets to be in class. With That's her, great. Which is super That's fun. great. It's good. It's good to see the world reopening in some Amusement ways. Amusement parks, Dodger games. We're going to start getting back to normal here and it's going to feel real good. I think. Yeah. I think we will af- appreciate much more the things that one year ago we took for granted. Is there, is there like one thing that you're excited about the most? Traveling. Yeah. Yeah. Easily traveling. I mean, uh, I, I, in fact, uh, I was scheduled to be in Israel right now, uh, where we've postponed a year, but, uh, yeah, I love to travel amidst Africa. We go to Africa every June for, you know, I'm usually there for three weeks or so and, uh, missed that last June. And, uh, so, you know, yeah, I mean, I miss yeah. getting out and going and that's just big trips. You know, I, I'm able to do multiple smaller trips and, you know, so yeah, traveling, I think is the big one for me. Yeah, me too. And theme parks. Yeah. I love going to theme parks with my daughter. You yeah. Know, she's six. She was, we were just getting into Knott's Berry Farm and riding the bigger rides and all that stuff. And so I'm excited to get back into that. Yeah. It's good. So when you think about a healed mind, uh, what comes to your mind? I wanted to start off with all the trivia you were giving us. It's, uh, <laughs> trivia. Sure, yeah, sure it is. Super fascinated. But um, I, I was nervous the first time I even read this. Yeah. Because uh, the idea of empires to me, empire to me is like a negative term in Christianity right now. Yeah. Because empire can so much lead quickly to nationalism, tribalism. Oh, yeah. All the negative things. Sure. And so right when I saw that that's where you were starting, I was like, oh, no, here we go. But how did the early church take that concept but not use it in a negative way? Well, they just decided there is a way to have a positive empire that isn't subject to all of the other empires. So I think that's part of it. I mean, I think that idea that they lived in a reality that we don't really understand. I mean, you know, we have different presidents, but our lives go on largely the same. You know, they, they might have a governor, you know, who suddenly, because he was a friend of Caesar's comes to power, maybe a a relative of some kind. Yeah. And that governor had an omnipotent kind of power. You know, that governor was able to, not for Roman citizens, but for non-Roman citizens, which was a vast majority of people in the empire, you could just decide what the taxes were going to be now and what you owned and what you didn't own. And I mean, there was a, their lives were swept back and forth. Yeah. And so their idea was we belong to something that doesn't spoil or fade. And he's going to, in fact, in the next segment of this letter, he's going to use that exact language. Yeah. Something that can't be taken away from you. Uh, and Jesus speaks of that, you know, lay up treasures in heaven instead of treasures on earth. Yeah. Uh, because that idea, that vulnerability. So they 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 saw it as a place of security because they understood the insecurity and the impact of earthly empires. Because, I mean, Jesus wasn't necessarily anti-Rome. He was constantly, we're doing something 
bigger than Rome, right? I mean, yeah. or was he specifically anti-Rome? No. Empires are bad. You know what I mean? I think he found Rome to be irrelevant to his story. Yeah. So, you know, when somebody asks him, he says, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar, give to God what's God's. But mostly he didn't care. He didn't care about that. He didn't enter into it. You don't find him disparaging the Roman world and leaders. Uh, he's much harder on the Pharisees and the Sadducees than he is on the Romans. Uh, because I think he he recognized, you know, it's one thing that Romans are doing what people do. You know, I think that's the thing we, we lose. Uh, you know, when you start to think about what human beings do and you think about how we function. So, for example, you know, as you say, the church right now is not a popular idea in the world and uh, held accountable for a lot of things that have happened. And, uh, and so, you know, I think when you think about that imagery and what it looks like, if you put human beings in any organization – they have a tendency to allow the power of that and the operation of that to become something that is corrupt. Mm -hmm. And I've said this before, you know, if we can mess up little league sports and turn that into competition and anger and, mm -hmm. you know, all that stuff, divisiveness, we can do that to anything. And that has happened within the church. It happens within all the cultures. So I think Jesus was coming along to say, you know, this is a this is a human experience. How can we get away from that? How can we be better than that? How can we be more than that? Yeah. I mean the big story recently is, you know, Beth Moore who really has been a pillar of Christian teaching over the last decade, especially yeah. female pastors. Sure. I mean she's probably the biggest name in female pastors in the last decade. Yeah. Leaving the Southern Baptists, you know, to me I look at that and I go, you know, that that's empire mentality to me in a tribalism way, the way they treated her to the right. point where she had to leave. So how can we still have denominations and stuff with structures and beliefs, but not get into the negative aspects of those? Yeah. Well, I think uh, we seem to be able to do that in the entertainment world better than we seem to be able to. Maybe we, we have a different expectation. So let's let's explore that for a minute. So if you said, uh, let's talk about the entertainment industry um, there's a terrible exploitation of human beings that go on in that. We've seen the hashtag Me Too movement and all these stories that have come out about how women have been really oppressed. But somehow we kind of look at that and we go, well, but the entertainment value is high enough that it's it's just what it is. It's kind of worth it. Mm. But when we see that sort of, you know, those issues that arise in the church, you know, we sort of go, well, that's all the church is. Well, it isn't all the church is, but it is a human organization and within it is all kinds of failings. Yeah. So, so if you stopped and you said, if we threw away the whole entertainment industry, you know, would, would it be worth it to us? I mean, we'd clean up a lot of bad stuff, but we'd get rid of a lot of good stuff. I think it's the same with the church. But what I think is different is people have no idea what the church does. So what would happen if you said this thing called church ceases to exist? And you could broad that into all religious organizations, whether it's Christian or Hindu or Muslim or whatever. You know, would the church be better off? You, you can't begin to imagine the loss of feeding programs, orphanages, hospitals, um, you know, um, advocacy program. You, it would be unimaginable. And I've used this statistic before. Uh, just the Catholic Church provides 34% of all health care in the world. Mm -hmm. just, just the Catholic Church. Uh, if you talked about Adventism who are 
incredibly involved in healthcare. So I don't think we we can see value in some human organizations that cause us to go, well, if you weigh it out. Yeah. But we don't see that so much in the church. Uh, and I think that's unfair. It's not, it's not a story that gets told well. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, healing our minds. How do we even know that our minds need to be healed? Or do all our, our minds need to be healed? Are we just, because we're living in this world, there's a baseline of we all need this? Or how, what's the litmus test to know that we need to go through this process? Well, I mean, it's a, if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's duck. Hmm. If your brain's not a good place for you to be in, then you might need some healing. If your brain feels like it's a good place to be in, then maybe you don't need that. Hmm. Of course, I always say to people that, you know, if you feel like your brain's a good place to be in and you don't think you need it, you might want to ask the people you're doing life with. Because you may have the only brain that's okay in that mm. mix. And that's the reason it's okay is because you're dominating everybody else or pushing everybody else out of the circle. So your life is doing exactly what you want it to do, but not everybody in your circle feels that way. Yeah. So I really don't think it's about, I think it's about how do you feel, you know, do you feel stressed out? Uh, Charles Spurgeon used to say, preach to the brokenhearted and you never lack for a congregation. And I think, you know, that, that is kind of where we are as a culture. We believed in the 1960s, sociologically speaking now, taking a big, long view, but we believed in the 1960s that more freedom would give us more happiness. Yeah. That if we threw off the old moral restraints and a lot of those things that we had been taught that kind of we felt like were binding us, that we would be happier. Right. Uh, that really hasn't followed through. You know, the nuclear family is not what it used to be. Uh, we've gotten rid of what old, boring, conventional ideas, this new freedom this new coolness, this new wokeness hasn't given us the payoff that we had hoped back then. Mm. Uh, so I think, you know, who needs it? Anybody who feels the stress of it or the pain of it or the anger of it. And I think that's represented in different minds in different ways. Some of us get anxious. Some of us get angry. Uh, some of us get depressed. Some of us uh, get quiet, withdrawn. We lose connection with others. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I, you know, if you're happy... God bless you. Be happy, you know. <laughs> so you're saying we need in and out brains. We need in and out brains. Just burger and fries, man. Yeah. No nuggets, no chicken sandwiches. Yeah, just simple. keep it simple. Not a lot of options, burger and fries. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a beauty to that, isn't there? Yeah. The yeah, complexity. Sure. I mean, don't you, aren't you envious of somebody who has just a mad skill and they just are like, this is what I do. This is who I am. I, I don't, because most of us are looking for our mad skill. Yeah. You know, what's our what's our one thing that we that we do that we have to give? So I think the New Testament writers are just saying, you have immense worth and your purpose is holy. You know, God has an idea for you. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we're gonna keep this conversation going. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Healing Conversations. We're talking about healing our minds on KABC 790. I'm Dave Robertson. Uh, Eric McClenahan's in studio, and we're just chatting about what healing our minds might look like. What are you thinking about, Eric? Yeah, let's jump into these points. All right. The first one you gave us was uh, adopt a holy mind. And uh, from the verse, um, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. The thing that jumped out at me in there is all you do, because I, I'm sure you find this too. Yeah, um, it's pretty easy to be holy during church. 
Yeah. Like when we're, when we're up there on the stage and I'm sure it's the same for people who are just coming for the, the hour, hour and 15 minutes, depending on how long you feel like preaching that Sunday. Wow. Um, <laughs> just go and just take a shot, man. Just, uh, just, just, uh, go ahead. For that hour on Sundays, it's pretty easy to be holy. Yeah. It's not a lot angering us. You know, we're, sure. we're feeling the presence of God in that moment. It's pretty easy. But that term, all you do is pretty convicting. Yeah. You know, like holiness when I'm driving, holiness when I'm standing in line places, that's where it starts to get a little, a little tricky, I think. Yeah, I think so. And I think, uh, uh, again, you know, it doesn't mean be pure in all you do necessarily. It doesn't mean be, you know, without blemish. It just means be aware that you are still set aside for a greater purpose. Uh, specifically, be, be sure that you know you're set aside for God's purposes. Mm-hmm. And I think for the for the New Testament writers, they understood it to be something that said, yeah, I don't do this. You know, I can't use my body for that purpose. I can't use my mind for that purpose. I can't use my mouth for that purpose because that would be inappropriate. Mm. I think it's a way of thinking about your life that says, well, this is probably okay for me because I'm stressed out and I'm da blah, 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 whatever it is. But it wouldn't be okay to be a person that's really set aside for God's service. This wouldn't work well. So when Jesus says, you've heard it said, love those that love you, but I tell you, love your enemies and those that persecute you, you know, that's a very different concept than what the world tells us. And it's a very different concept of how we live. But I think that's part of the idea. Well, the reason I do this is because I'm, I'm living a life in which I'm set aside for God's purposes. And in God's purposes, we don't give back what we get. Mm-hmm. We, we, we are a shock absorber in some level. We, we take in the blow and we give back something better. Mm. Uh, and, 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 you know, when you say, well, you know, do you believe in that stuff or not? I can't conceive of a world where that would not be better. Yeah. Where people behaving that way towards one another, taking the blow, giving back something better would not be better than what we're living. Yeah. And to me, truth is about pragmatism. It has to work. It has to be better. And so I think that is part of the concept of holy. Uh, you know, the, that God's purposes actually function better in the world than other ideas. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the second one, adopt a non-conforming mind. Um, what is the difference, I guess, between we don't want to give into, as it says in here, evil desires of achievement or success or what the world calls those things. But we also want to give God our best. We want to be excellent in all we do. What is the difference there in the pursuit of those things? Well, I think it's the appetite involved. I mean, I, you know, um, excellence means I am, I feel confident that I have done my best with that, that I didn't hold back, that I wasn't lazy. Um, but, but when I get into a mode where I say I can no longer appreciate what I have accomplished, my perspective becomes, I need more of that. I need, you know, when I become insatiable, you know, that's when the appetite has owned me. You know, I no longer, you know, Paul, Paul says uh, food for the stomach and stomach for the food. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a process by which you got to eat and you might as well eat something good. But the day that you get to the point where you're like, all I want to do is just find the next thing I've got to eat. Mm. Then you've then you've probably passed the point of saying, you know, that's a healthy appetite. Yeah, and it's the same. It's the same with our brains and our desires and our 
you know, our desire for affirmation. Everybody wants to be accomplished and everybody wants affirmation. It's when we, it's when we feel a, a level of discontent that drives us. And then that begins to produce in us those things where we would mistreat somebody in order to gain that stuff. Yeah. You know, that our desires become so important to us and so valued to us that we would actually destroy other people in order to get more of that thing. Because then right. we get into those ideas about envy and jealousy and, you know, all that other stuff. So, yeah. So is that, I mean, it seems to me like that would be pretty relative to each person and personality type. Yeah. I mean, I, so Aristotle talks about the golden mean. That's exactly what this is. What's the balance between ambition and, you know, an insatiable, unhealthy kind of desire for, for, uh, you know, for fulfillment or achievement. Mm -hmm. Well, somewhere between those two things, you know, somewhere between I'll do anything to gain celebrity and I don't really care or have any ambition or drive. Halfway in the middle of that is I have a healthy sort of sense of excellence. I give my best. I challenge myself. I use my brain. I've studied. I've learned. I've read. I've practiced my art. Right. You know, all of that, I think, is in the in that positive piece of it. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's tough in this culture. Sure. I mean, we can point to a lot of things. We talk about it in politics a lot where we start to go, can you even get to that level of politics without some of these evil desires? Can yeah. you even get to that point by being a good guy? Yeah. There's some things in our culture that we've created that I just don't know that they're attainable doing it the right way anymore. Yeah. Well, and you and I both know, we know gifted, gifted artists who've committed their life to their craft mm -hmm. and have never really received what, you know, might be deserved for that level of accomplishment. And part of that is we do live in a world where marketing drives more than talent. Yeah. So so somebody, if, if somebody's marketable, the system can turn them into stars as opposed to just raw talent. Right. Uh, so I... I you know, uh, our, our friend uh, Ralph Winter, who's been on this show, a uh, movie producer, he says, you know, uh, uh, Hollywood has a, a story, a production, and a marketing facet. Mm -hmm. And they're so good at uh, the production and the marketing side that the story has become much less important. Yeah. Uh, and yet we still, the movies that we mostly find to be great are the ones that have a great story. But we've sort of bought into that concept overall in our culture, in our world. Uh, and so it is much harder to feel fulfilled because what fulfills us is it's just harder to attain. I mean, when a person can have a YouTube channel and have millions of views because they, you know, are willing to cause themselves bodily harm, <laughs> you know, they're willing to jump off roofs and, you know, whatever all that is. There's a part of that that you just kind of go, I don't know. Yeah. The world's a weird place. Yeah, that's interesting that you bring up social media and YouTube because I think what it, it has shown is, like, for instance, just in singing, there are so many people that can sing. Yeah. As well as the people who are famous. Sure. But there's a whole other machine that's making them famous outside of their talent. Yeah. Well, and let's talk about the reverse of that. You know, would Joe Cocker be a celebrity today? <laughs> yeah. Would Bob Dylan? No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these great talents that were a part of something more, it wasn't just their raw talent that yeah. made them a celebrity. There was something inside of them. Right. There was content to their life and story. And I think those are lost to us in so many ways today. Yeah. You know, it really is about the performance side of things as opposed to the story of a person's life. Yeah. 
you know, Bob Dylan was a great songwriter. He right. was, he's, you know, he obviously, when you listen to him, it's not like he's crushing the voice thing. It's right. something deeper than that about him that makes him a celebrity. Yeah. You know, yeah. so uh, I love this point. Adopt a grace focused mind. Um, immediately when I thought of it, I thought of of the concept, and really I got the concept from um, David Foster Wallace and his writings. But it's the idea that we're constantly creating fiction about other people. Yeah, constantly telling ourselves fictional stories, and so I personally have been really trying when I'm driving to always give the person grace who cuts me off. Yeah. That literally I'm creating, when they cut me off, I'm creating a fictional story of who they are, of why they cut me off. I could just as easily create a fictional story of they need to get to the hospital right now. Yes. Or they didn't see me. Or it's just as easy to create a positive fictional story. Right. And I really think that this point drives that home. Yeah. I mean, if you knew everything there was to know about a person, you'd show them mercy. Yeah. And I think we don't. We don't because our minds immediately leap to who does who does he think he is and why does he and he thinks he you know yeah he thinks he's more important than me and you know so how do we slow that down and offer the the world grace yeah uh, again I think that reality we're supposed to absorb you know maturity is I'm absorbing the blow and I'm giving back something much better yeah and I think step one of that is what we've talked about of just I'm not the protagonist. take yeah. yourself out of the protagonist your your story is not the only story going on here, yeah, yeah, and I think that's a that's a powerful truth that we have to live for a greater cause if if i if I condemn myself to my small story, then I'm condemning myself to a life that's really hard. yeah, if I believe I'm contributing to something much greater than just my story, then I can endure some things in my you know Nietzsche said. Uh, we can we can endure almost any what if we understand the why. Yeah, and I think that's very much true in our stories. So next week is Easter. Next week's Easter, and we are having online. If people need an Easter place to go, yeah, we, we have our online service on Facebook. Just search Montrose Church, yeah. and we're also doing it in person. And we're doing it both ways. And uh, just so you know, Eric is doing these. Uh, uh, he's doing magical video electronic. I don't know what magical it's going to be virtual like magic, virtual choir <laughs> and all kinds of things going on. So, uh, well, listen, thank you for tuning in this morning. And, uh, if you're in need of a healed mind, my prayer for you is that somehow this conversation, uh, helps you take a deep breath. Remember it's the Lenten season, stretch out, let the sun bring to life in you things that have been dormant. Don't work too hard. Just relax and maybe let the power of God work in you and through you. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening. We don't talk anymore. We don't talk anymore. We don't talk anymore like we used to do. We don't laugh anymore. What was all of it for? We don't talk anymore like we used to do. This show is pre-recorded and furnished by Montrose Church Ministries. 